0: The information provided in this podcast episode is for education and entertainment purposes only and is in no way a replacement for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional and should not be considered or used as clinical or professional consultation. With that said, here is a taste of what you will get in today's episode.
1: So- I'm privileged to be able to provide that kind of experience and those types of experiences for, for my girls. And I think it just speaks to how hard it is for black men, even with their own biological children, how how very daunting that challenge is for them to be connected and to stay engaged
0: mm-hmm. and
1: to stay plugged into the lives of their, their children.
0: Now keep listening to today's episode because there are some cultural jewels that I am dropping on y'all. And of course, thank you so much for your support. Enjoy the episode. Matthew Alexander Henson, 1866 to 1955. On April 6, 1909, a quote unquote 20 year odyssey ended when two Americans planted the American flag at the top of the world. Matthew A. Henson was co discoverer of the geographic North Pole. Henson, the son of freeborn parents, was born in Charles County, Maryland in 1866. He was orphaned at an early age and was raised by an uncle in Washington, D.C., where he attended grammar school. At the tender age of 13, he took the position of cabin boy on the merchant vessel, Katie Hines, for six years. He became an able-bodied seaman, read avidly, and traveled the world over. Across the Pacific to the China Sea, across the Atlantic into the Balak Sea, stopping in China, Japan, North Africa, Spain, France, and Russia. In 1888, Henson met Commander Robert E. Perry, then a civil engineer in the U.S. Navy, and was more than ready to join Perry's historic es- expedition. Excuse me. Henson was recommended to Perry as a valet, but Perry soon realized that Henson's ability to chart a path and handle a ship made him invaluable as a colleague. During a congressional inquiry, Perry admitted that the expedition was greatly aided by Henson's expertise. He said, quote, I couldn't get along without him. His adaptability and fitness for the work and his loyalty made him a better man than any of my companions. He is a better dog driver and can handle a sledge better than any man living except the best Eskimo hunters, end quote. Perry took Henson on all his expeditions from 1891 through 1909. During this period, Henson became a jack of all trades, including navigation, trading with the Eskimos, who had a great respect for Henson, walrus hunting, and building sledges and igloos in sub-zero temperatures. On April 6, 1909, accompanied by four Eskimos, Perry, white, and Henson, black, were the first Americans to reach the North Pole. The conditions these men faced were dreadful. For the final 68 days of the expedition, it became so cold that their hoods froze to to their growing beards. They had to stop to break away ice which had formed from their breath and moisture from their perspiration. Snow could not be used for drinking because it would have reduced the body temperature and caused immediate death. In the face of these horrors, Henson drew up reciting the 23rd Psalm and the 5th chapter of Matthew. Henson possessed the unique ability to merge into and even master his environment to the extent of, quote, enjoying the good and enduring the bad, end quote. Because of his race, Henson was initially denied his well-deserved recognition. He was employed as a clerk in the New York Customs House from 1913 to 1936 by order of President Taft. In 1937, he was made a member of the Explorers Club and was awarded a master's degree from Howard University in 1939 in 1944 congressional medals were awarded to henson and the five white men who started but did not complete the 1908 expedition in 1948 henson was awarded a gold medal from the geographical society in chicago henson was honored in ceremonies at the pentagon by president truman in 1950 and at the white house by president Eisenhower in 1954. Henson died in 1955. He was survived by his wife, Lucy, and a sister. In 1961, six years after his death, the State House of Annapolis, Maryland passed a bill providing for a bronze plaque crediting Henson as co-discoverer of the North Pole. What's up, y'all? I'm coming on real quick to ask you to do me a favor. If you are a listener of my podcast, please make sure to leave a review. I don't care if you've been listening from day one or if this is your first time listening, go ahead and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Because when you leave a review, it helps other people find my podcast, which ultimately is helping more people be culturally aware. So after this episode, take a few seconds to leave a review. I'm thanking you in advance for being part of making cultural change one listen at a time and one review at a time. All righty, let's jump into the episode. hello welcome back to another episode of walk a day in my culture this is a podcast where i help you increase your cultural awareness by talking with you about the daily experiences i have as a black woman now listen you already know what i'm about to say I believe by you all listening and hearing my experiences, you can hypothetically walk a day in my culture, which should help you to literally walk on the path of increasing your cultural awareness. And if you happen to be a Black listener, I truly believe that by listening to my experiences of my cultural walk, you should feel validated, liberated, and empowered because you are hearing and witnessing me, your Black sister, engage in fully Accepting and walking in her blackness and the beauty of that walk. So, with all of that said, let's get into today's episode, which is entitled Black Fathers Matter Part 4. This is the final part of our series. We're going to get into that in a second um, about what today's interview will entail. But y'all know I do the Welcome to Our World segment. And, you know, it just be too much, but I'm going to continue. So the first thing that I want to talk about is I just want us to take a moment to acknowledge Roderick Walker. He was the black man that was beaten severely by the cops in Georgia. Um, You know, I, I don't even know what to say no more. Like, I just don't. Like, first of all, thank God that this man did not lose his life but the whole situation was traumatic for everyone involved again the cops did this in front of this man's kids you see the the kid running out screaming traumatized either the girlfriend or the wife i don't know who she was to him but she was traumatized and they just continuously beat this man and like for what he was the passenger in a lift ride Like, why are we doing this? And then we have to deal with people sitting up and saying that, you know, there's no racism and people continuing to deny that cops are intentionally doing this stuff. Like, why we got to sit up here and argue with y'all? Like, this is a continuous thing that happens. It's an intentional thing that happens. And cops that are not good cops are very aware and right now it's starting to look like it ain't no good cops out there and I don't care how nobody feel about me saying that um and black folks are having conversations in households that we shouldn't be having me and my husband he talked about this on his podcast we we had a whole conversation like what what would we do like if this happened because at at this point I'm starting to feel like we recording everybody doing a recording but ain't nobody trying to stop the cops and it might need to really get to some militant days and like fighting back because y'all recording and ain't nothing happening nothing no one's stopping anything and i'm just you know we had a conversation like if if that happened god forbid to me or my husband and one of us is there like i'm not gonna let him get beat up by the cops and he ain't gonna let me get beat up by the cops and what happened if we got our baby with us then God forbid we we probably go both end up dead and now our child is an orphan and people that are not black don't have to have these conversations in their household and it's just not cool and I know that you know these are segments that y'all probably don't like me talking about because it's always seeming like a Debbie Downer but for everybody listening and this includes black people I am I'm bringing this up I'm gonna keep bringing it up because I'm not gonna try to put this on a pretty bow. Like, we got a lot happening in the black community that we should really, really be proud of. But at the same time, this is in our face right now in 2020. And I'm not gonna try to make this pretty. And black folks listening, y'all don't need to get numb to this. Like, we don't need to get numb. We don't need to get used to this because it ain't normal, okay? Anyway, what else is happening in our world Breonna Taylor's family, um, settled with the department that, um, wrongfully killed her while she was in her sleep. It was a $12 million settlement and I got mixed feelings about it because I kind of feel like that ain't enough, right? Like there's no amount of money that can be placed on, somebody wrongfully losing their life in their home in their sleep okay under the circumstances now at the same time it is good to see this admission of guilt because a lot of people are saying it's really unusual for a settlement to happen you know in a investigation before a trial takes place i'm glad that her family doesn't have to go through this anguish that they are already going through but I just need it to be known: twelve million dollars ain't enough. That's not enough. Like we were listening to Minister Louis Farrakhan uh, last night, and no, ain't nobody Muslim. I ain't got nothing against Muslim. I'm very much a believer in Christ, and I mean, I know Muslims are too. But I'm just saying, I am a Christian woman. But. <laughs> Okay, Minister Louis Farrakhan was speaking some real facts and some real truth. And he said, this year, we talking about 2020, okay, African Americans have spent $1.3 trillion. This is during a year of a pandemic, during a year where people ain't got no jobs, during a year where... Things are uncertain during a year where we can't even go to the stores. So as black people, we sitting up here spending $1.3 trillion and they want to throw a little $12 million at Breonna Taylor's family, like get out of here, right? Like something else needs to be done. You cannot just throw money at black folks and then just think it's okay to just keep killing us while at the same time using us to experiment with this vaccine so that we can talk about the numbers of the people of color. I mean, listen, that's a whole podcast for another day, okay? You kill us on one instance and you use us to save lives in another. Think about that, okay? Anyway, before I get too hype and before this episode becomes way longer than it needs to be, on a positive note, Black Folks is coming for y'all's president because you know I will never claim him. And that town hall that he did with CNN... Black people was asking, and I'm talking about regular everyday voters, okay? Asking questions like, when was America ever great for black folks? Couldn't answer the question. And talking about the disparities in the mental, not mental health, Lord, I'm getting way too high, but the, in- <laughs> the disparities in the healthcare system for black people and what's gonna be done. And he couldn't answer that question either. And so good job, black folks, for coming through, for speaking, our truth and asking the hard questions and making it very clear that this person can't answer the questions because he don't know because he don't care about us and i'm just gonna say how i want to say anyway as y'all can see i'm very hype i'm very aggravated about all that's happening in the black community and i'm just tired i'm tired i'm tired i'm tired i'm tired of white folks not getting it but thinking that they get it and thinking that they down and thinking that they woke when you ain't woke Like, you ain't woke. You don't know nothing about what's going on. I don't care how many years of work you done did. You don't get it. You know what I mean? Because if it was so many of y'all that was woke out there, things would look real different. And y'all would be the ones speaking up, not us. Anyway, I digress. Let's get into what is happening in today's interview. So, I just want y'all to know that this is going to be a very long interview. Um, We are talking about Black fatherhood, but we are also talking about other things and um, just Black issues. And the father that I am interviewing really touches on a whole bunch of stuff, issues that Black men deal with, issues that Black men need to be aware of. He's given a whole lot of insight. So we are also, we are talking about fatherhood, but we are also talking about just a whole bunch of other stuff, which is why the interview is so long. But I just think that is a great way to close this series that we are covering so many wonderful topics. So today I have with me Rome. He's also known as DJ Rome. He is a father of two adult children, um, and y'all will just be able to tell by this interview with the passion that he brings, um, how much of a blessing he is not only to society, but definitely to his children. I could not have asked for a better set of Black Fathers for this series, and I definitely couldn't have asked for a better... Black Father to close the series because he is hitting y'all with the gamut of wonderful information, wonderful insight. It's just a great, great interview. So as usual, make sure to listen to the very, very end of the episode so that you guys can get information on how to connect with Rome. And with that said, y'all ready for this final interview? Well, let us get into this interview in five, four, three two one hello everybody so i am excited to welcome rome on my podcast also known as dj rome i'll let him introduce himself how you doing today
1: oh i'm good i'm good how y'all doing up there
0: we are doing good we are doing good Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. I just thank you for coming on today and talking about Black Fatherhood because, you know, Black Fathers matter. So mm-hmm. I just, I'm glad that you were able to make some time to come on my podcast.
1: Oh, I'm really excited to do so because fatherhood is relatively new for me in one sense, but mm-hmm. familiar to me in another. So I'm happy to explore the full range of that.
0: Yes, yes. And I'm glad, I'm I'm sure my listeners will be glad to to hear the full range of your experience so so before we jump into all the questions I got for you today why don't you just tell the people like what you do and what your occupation is
1: oh yeah definitely well as you said I go by DJ Rome and uh that is a a nickname and a moniker that I picked up while I was living born and raised in Southern California in Los Angeles and Roll with a crew called the Soul Children, and uh, we have come to the, uh, the forefront by being purveyors of the underground soul movement down mm-hmm. there, and so through that modicum, I was able to build a bit of a name for myself, and one of our claims to fame, uh, if anyone's interested, <laughs> is that our event, Juju, was featured in one of Ava DuVernay's earliest projects called Middle of Nowhere. Which mm-hmm. starred uh, what's the brother's name that played Ghost? Um, oh, sure Power, Omari Hardwick.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah. Before before he became who he is now, and the brother who played uh, Dr. King in the movie Selma was mm-hmm. the, the lead character. So, yeah, it it was a really fluke experience. One night, I went to a movie to go support the film anyway, and then. It cut to this scene I'm like wait that's my event
2: yes <laughs>
1: so uh, that's what I do uh, music wise DJ wise uh, P funk and soul underground uh, hip-hop is my thing and uh, sometime during that and around that time I became interested in education so I've been in the field of education since 1994. so that's going well into 26 27 years now yes. first 14. first 14 was spent as a substitute teacher down in southern california mm-hmm. and somewhere in there i became a school psychologist
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, through that pursuit of a career i had the privilege of meeting your wonderful husband
0: yes you
1: probably say is still a good friend of mine today and now you are as well yes, and um uh, brought me up here
0: Yes, I know. Art used to always be like, I only know one other black school psychologist. So yeah,
1: it's <laughs> and really that was rare. You. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. And uh, I'm sure if I had been married at the time, I sure would have been um, saying the same because we we're definitely uh, pretty hard to find.
0: Yeah, you guys definitely, definitely are. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. thank you. So this is the perspective you are coming from as a Black father. That's right. I like to put That's that right. question out there so people know that, you know, our Black fathers are also, you know, hard workers as well. Definitely. Um, so I think it's important for them to know that. So why don't you tell us how old your children are?
1: Okay, I had the good fortune of helping to raise a nephew of mine and he's actually in his uh, mid thirties now and uh, while he's not my biological son he's the closest thing i have to a biological child because he is my Mm. sister's son Mm -hmm. her one and only son and uh i do consider us to be very close he now lives out of state in texas and we still keep in touch on a regular basis uh that that guy is my heart and soul and so as you and Art know, I'm still considered a newlywed, I guess. I got married two years ago to my wonderful wife, Marilyn. Yes. And <laughs> in doing so, I married into two beautiful daughters. They're now aged 21 and 23.
0: Okay. Yes. All right. So why don't you, you've touched on it a little bit, but I'm going to have you mm-hmm. expand a bit. Just kind of share your journey to fatherhood yeah. um, and how you got to where you are now.
1: Oh, sure. Well, it's an interesting story because many people that live in Southern California, if you're considered in sort of the the cesspool of Southern California, especially mm-hmm. LA, it comes with it certain um, stereotypical tropes that yep. come with being shallow, not really having yourself together, if you're uh, a young black man anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: in I- I'm guessing in any segment or pocket of the country, there's a tendency to expect uh, young women to be more mature than young black men. Well, let me hone in. Young black women to be a little bit more mature than black men. Mm-hmm. And they always say women mature faster than men. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's situational and circumstantial. I think it yes. depends very much upon the environment through which that child comes up in. And I believe the likelihood of uh, a vast development of maturity is most likely in a home where a same-sex parent resides mm-hmm. now i did not have the f- privilege of growing up with a male in the home although i was raised knowing who my father was i was very close to him he was actually a, a singer with mm-hmm. a, a famous r&b group that had uh, r&b top 10 hits on billboard and mm-hmm. with him and a stepfather that my mother met soon after breaking up with my father and another gentleman that ended up marrying my grandmother Uh, I had male influences in my life but I myself never lived full time with a man so Mm -hmm. I say that because that's how I came up I grew up watching women running households I was Mm -hmm. the youngest, I was the only male and in my family the 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 matriarchs were the doms or the mm-hmm. the people who were in charge and taking care of business and I'm sure you know through your experience, Narissa, mm-hmm. that 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 kind of background is not highly uncommon.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Many it's not. Were,
1: yeah, many of us were raised in single parent households where mama and grandma stepped up and did yeah. pretty much everything, mm-hmm. and so. I came into the journey in a very gradual way, I'd say, because I, while being very conservative and being raised Christian and going to church and accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and the whole thing, mm-hmm. when I was like, by the time I was 12, I was saved. And by the time I was in college, uh, I took, <laughs> I unsaved myself. <laughs> okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'll put it like this. I, I, you know, once you get into college, you start becoming a little bit more susceptible to A lot of information and you're Mm -hmm. open and you're curious and you're reading more and studying more and you're testing the knowledge of all of your upbringing against what you're experiencing now, which when you're studying general education courses, they, of course, encourage a wide swath Mm -hmm. of courses so that you're quote unquote well-rounded. And part of my journey was black studies. And through that, I've really, really learned the importance of being black and being black and male and setting an example, and uh, being all about my community. So to make a short story long, (laughs) I have always carried that with me. And when I was a young man in my 19s and 20s and 30s, um, I was dating. However, uh, I didn't have any serious uh, long-term relationships Mm -hmm. to where fatherhood even seemed even remotely possible to me. Uh-huh. Friends and I would discuss it, but it didn't seem like a, a a possibility that was really anywhere within my purview because I was focused on just getting on my feet. Yeah. Because again, I was raised with women, women are always taking care of business. And uh-huh. the sisters that I was dating, they were they had themselves together. Yeah. And if they weren't, they were getting themselves together. So fatherhood seemed like a distant, distant priority to the point yeah. where I didn't feel the urgency that some people feel to go immediately into parenthood, one or two. I was very careful to make sure I didn't have any accidents into parenthood. Mm -hmm. So fatherhood for me always felt like it was going to be something that I would want. It was going to be deliberate. It was going to be very intentional. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be a a life reality for me that I was going to have full capacity and control over
0: yes yes
1: yes thank no you mi- no mistakes no accidents no excuse fellas exactly. you can do it. even when you're in a, a place like LA where you got opportunities abound right. abounding all the time around you ain't no excuse put a condom on and if you're yes. not gonna wear a condom uh, just be careful right it is, it's not that hard to do come on right, right. Creech, yes. come, on. come on I've been wanting yes. to get that off my chest for a while come on right.
0: <laughs> Yes, and this is the place to get it off your chest because, you know, it's often so, so many misconceptions about Black men, which is why I Mm -hmm. wanted to do this segment and have just an array of fathers on, you know, this series because Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of just, you know, down-talking Black men, down-talking Black Mm -hmm. fathers and there are a lot of responsible black men out there you know a perfect example is you and what you just said it's being very intentional it's not having accidents and it's just being safe so thank you you. thank you for saying that so (laughs) I would like to know because you have married into the role of being a father Mm -hmm. um, as well as considering your nephew as your son and so I just want you to kind of talk about you know even though it's been gradual and slow how Mm -hmm. you've adjusted to becoming a father and marrying into the role of
1: fatherhood yeah absolutely that's a really good question because I say it with a caveat of uh, absolute deference and respect to their actual biological fathers Mm -hmm. because no matter what the status of the relationships are with their respective biological fathers, my approach has always been, hey, I'm here. They're still your dad. Love them as much as you want to and as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And I'm the man in your life right now. This is a conversation I had with my nephew many, many years ago when his mom broke up with his dad. Mm-hmm. and I said, Look, I'm the man in your life now. He's still your dad. Love him as much as you want to. But I'm the man in your life now. And he's been my man every-
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I'm like, I, I got you. So don't yes. don't worry about your emotional needs being met. If you if you sad, you know, I wanna know. It's like come talk to me and you know, we'll handle it, we'll work it out. Mm-hmm. And I
0: Hello, yes, it's me again. I had to pause the podcast real quick to promote my newsletter subscription. Are you signed up to my newsletter? If so, thank you so much. If not, what are you waiting for? Go to my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com, and sign up. Each month you get a cultural newsletter, and each week you get a cultural tip and it's free. It's really no excuse for you not to be signed up to my newsletters, especially if you listen to the podcast. So go and sign up. All righty, let's get back to the podcast.
1: So he texted me today to make sure that we have our weekend conversation this weekend. So yes. I would say planning that seat early on really helped, but I, I approached it with absolute and unequivocal deference and respect toward the biological fathers that I am not here to replace them. Yes. And that I respect that there was a life that existed here before I showed up. And so I know there's still, whether it's a, a strain relationship in, um, you know, the situation a versus this uh, situation I married into, which mm-hmm. is a, there, there, there's a high degree of love there still
2: mm-hmm.
1: between my girls and their dad. And, they have been involved and he has been involved with their lives, you know, from, from day one. Mm-hmm. So of course I'm not going to show up and deprive them of that or to, uh, set, uh, them up to have to choose one against the other. That wouldn't be possible anyway, nor would I want them to choose me over their dad. Exactly. But I'm here to support their mom. They know that I'm in love, madly in love with their mother and they know I'll do anything for her. And by mm-hmm. default, that means I'm gonna be there for the long haul for them as well yes and so the way I approach it is that I am here to do the best example of uh, what uh, they haven't seen because in what I didn't grow up with they also didn't grow up with to a certain extent having a black man in the home right all the time now my 21 year old just moved out recently the 23 year old both of them came and went mm-hmm. but right now 21 year old just moved out recently the 23 year old is still here and so they had to get used to me being here mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and living here and listening to me snoring in the middle of the night like, passing out on the couch and it's like hey do you know you were snoring i'm like dang what do i say to that i probably was snoring i right. snore that's what i do that's what i'm a, I'm a black man am a grown black man that's what i do what can i do about it right. <laughs> you know and then i'm like dang somebody's questioning me about the way i sleep it's like what's up mm-hmm. that, that, that's a new reality it's like right. leave me alone what did i do to you right. <laughs> so it, the, the whole thing was um i and i had to warm up to that to be honest with you because w- without going down too deep of a rabbit hole the, the whole thing about um i never grew up seeing a man even though my mom dated my stepdad for years like 18
2: mm-hmm. and he's not my
1: biological father when they were dated and they never married but check this out narissa i never ever 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 not even one time uh, when I would go to bed and he was still at, in the house in the living room at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, and it was be- my bedtime,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I never got up the next morning and he was still there.
2: Mm.
1: So she always made sure that he went home. If he passed out and started snoring on the couch, she would wake his behind up and make him go home. Okay, I don't know. I don't know why she did that, right. but she she set me up to expect that that was kind of the way that she wanted it, and she. You know she she had certain conservative principles about how she wanted to, to model a relationship to me and something about him being there in the morning when we get up in the morning uh didn't ride with her
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so that was a that was a huge adjustment for me
2: mm-hmm. coming into
1: marriage and coming into daughters especially daughters because mm-hmm. you know being around girls and i'm a man uh it, it was an adjustment so i'd say uh the the the, sh- the long version of the story is absolute deferential respect to the biological parent and then yes. sort of defining my own role in lieu of how I was brought up that do I have to follow that same exact path the way that mom modeled for me mm-hmm. or can now as a grown man well into my adulthood can I call my own call my own shots so I would say that that was a very very interesting balancing act to figure that out
0: okay Cool, cool. So on that, what are some things you underestimated about stepping into your role as a father within
1: your marriage? You underestimated about fatherhood? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very good question. I, I think it's and because marrying into uh, a, a sort of a built in family. Mm-hmm. um appreciate like art and you will go through it because you you have a beautiful little one on the way up but oh, thank you <laughs> i guess yeah absolutely i guess um because i did grow up under a single mom I, I could appreciate how hard she had to work to provide for us we didn't have a whole lot mm-hmm. but we never went without we never yes. went without so i would say I, I i if anything to answer your question, I probably. Um, have gained a greater appreciation for the the gravity of sacrifice and Mm. the absolute lifetime financial devotion to making sure you're doing your absolute level best to provide every single possible need that your children will have. And knowing that that's a commitment from the moment you say hi to them once they Mm -hmm. are, you know, from the womb to the tomb, it's literally um the, the the commitment is eternal yeah And so uh while i didn't underestimate just on a, a spiritual connection and or a maternal connection and now i have a paternal connection to them um the the there's a certain hmm there I mean, with, I'm, I'm trying to avoid stating the obvious, it, you know, right. because uh, I don't want to me- make it sound like it's transactional that you raising children is expensive and you mm-hmm. need to have your life together and have your career right. and right. Your life situation figured out so that you're not uh, uh, causing uh, another generational um, extension of um, low or poverty mm-hmm. or middle class. I mean, you want to make sure that you're providing uh, a safe environment. Right. So I guess... Uh, the importance of um, making an early commitment toward parenthood is something that I underestimate and why Mm -hmm. that's so important. And uh, that was predicated on uh, my wife's intentional effort to make sure that she took care of her business with uh, her education so that she could provide in the best and most robust fashion that she could as a single Black woman. And um, I had an inkling of that before I married her, but I have an inkling a, a really a, a ginormously uh, aggregated appreciation of it now it, yeah. it's, it's incredible what she's been able to do on her own
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah.
0: so one more question and we're going to take a break
1: sure. um,
0: but what are some things that you feel that you've mastered about fatherhood
1: uh, loving their mom okay <laughs> yeah that that's a, a ongoing commitment that I, I take very seriously and being able to demonstrate that love even in front of them yeah. to where we're not overly affectionate in front of them i don't think but they know for without a doubt that they see me holding her hand and hugging her and holding her and we're corny and they're like oh god you guys mm-hmm. are disgusting <laughs> and, um, but just being able to um Make making sure that they know that to me, she is my queen. Yeah, they are our princesses. And I step into that role to provide security, safety and a soft place for them to land emotionally Mm -hmm. um, to the fullest extent possible. I am in it to win it mm-hmm. with their mom. And the best way I can demonstrate that is making sure their mom is as happy and as at as much peace as possible.
0: Right. And I think before we take the break, I think one important part to point out from what you just said is the fact of demonstrating a healthy and positive relationship yes. because yes. your girls are still at the young adult age. You know what I mean? Yes. And so it's good for them to see this you know Mm -hmm. black love and what it's supposed to look like and that they are supposed to be treated as queens and so that is a priceless gift that you can give them Um, it's it's priceless so I think that is great okay
1: I take it very seriously, so I'm working hard to try to get it right. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Well, we're going to take a real quick break, people, and we shall be right back. So as I always tell y'all, you know, have you a little water break, change your position, go to the restroom. But make sure Mm. that you listen to all of my commercials because you never know where I put that second Black Pioneer. I'll be right back. Mm. Hey you guys, you already know what this section of the podcast is about. This is my business update where I update you all on what's new and going on in my business. Remember that you should always listen to this commercial in its entirety because I'm always updating things and this commercial is ever changing. Everything I'm about to share with you can be found in more detail on my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. Many of you know I'm still working on my book, Understanding and Working Within the Issues in the Black Community. It's continuing to come along really, really well and I'm so glad that I I decided to slow down and take my time with the process. So keep your ears open for when that will be released. On October the 10th, I'm doing another online training and it is called Helping the African-American Community Cope with Trauma once again you will receive three continuing education units if you're eligible registration is open now so feel free to register on november the 6th that is when my cultural planner will be coming out you can pre-order your planner on my website now under the books and products tab and that's also where you'll find a description of this planner And these are the updates for my business. Again, you can check out the details of what I just described on my website, because one, if not all of these offers will help you bloom into your best self. All right, y'all, we are back. As you know, I have DJ Rome here with me um, yes, on my podcast today, talking about Black Fathers because Black Fathers matter. Yes, so I'm getting ready to start, you know, with a little bit more with the heavy hitter questions.
1: Mm, come on.
0: Okay. Come on. So, on. I just, I, I've just been burning to ask this question. And I think this is one of the bigger reasons too. I wanted to have you on the podcast um, with this particular question that I, I know you're gonna be able to answer good for me. So mm-hmm. I want to know, um, what are the myths that you want to shatter for people out there who believe that fathers are only biological?
1: Oh, okay. Great question. I think one of the myths because of my relationship with uh, my nephew, I think so long as you have people that you can pour into, you mm-hmm. can plant seeds in them. And even if you have, um, and it's not even so much age, but that, that doesn't hurt. But... You're able to drop some wisdom and insight into people who are coming up after you. And you're essentially throwing a ladder over the other side of the, the fence and helping them come up. Mm-hmm. And making sure that you're there for them at all times. And even if they're not your biological own, you can still plant season them as if they were. So yes. that, that, that's something that you can always do, no matter if you got cousins or little nieces and nephews, uh, right. the job and the responsibility is still essentially very similar.
0: Mm-hmm. Very true. And I think in the Black community, I feel like one thing, you know, we do a lot of talk about kinship because that's important to us. Because like you said, at the top of the show, a lot of us grew up with single parent mm-hmm. homes. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. our fathers were not around. And so when we run into people who feel like, you know fathers can't be fathers unless they're biological well in the black community we know that that ain't true you know what I mean (laughs) like a a lot of times Mm
2: -hmm.
0: non-biological fathers are much more of a father than a biological father and so I just think it's important like you're saying to plant seeds and Mm -hmm. to you know help people come up on the other side
1: yes absolutely yes definitely Mm.
0: So another thing I want to ask you is how do you have conversations regarding racism, oppression and discrimination that take place with you um, and your children? Like, how do you kind of prepare them for for those things, you know, being black in this
1: world? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question, because uh, our, our black sn- blackness is put on um, it's put to the test all the time, right? Yes. I mean, there, there are so many life lessons that are happening around us right now to this day. Mm-hmm. In this decade, especially the first year of twenty the 2020s, and it's been one for the record book. Yeah. And, um, it's brought front and center all mm-hmm. the issues that have been stymieing black progress and black freedom uh it's brought it right to our doorstep and so if you have kids and young ones coming up behind you uh we've had dozens of teachable moments Mm -hmm. and so one way in which i uh, sort of lay the terrain for that is my girls see me watching news all the time i'm sad to say
2: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) I'm, i'm always um I have a news channel on, or I'm reading about 10 different news articles every day, at mm-hmm, least.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I'm very informed, and I consider myself to be up on current events, and I know a little something about the way things work, um, and and just being able to uh, s- still yet be inquisitive and curious enough to ask them what mm-hmm. they think about certain situations, mm-hmm. and see how uh, life's experiences are uh, pressing down upon them when they encounter conversations that are a little bit awkward, right. and they see their non-black friends and how they react to it, and just get some um, some game from them as well. And I I, I just try to create a, a, a bridge so that when they experience something that they can uh, run it through the prism of their their dad or their their big uncle in this case, and uh, just be able to 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 check some things out and. You know get a perspective and mm-hmm. I get it from a black man who has lived through some things and has seen some things um, it's very easy again because so much is happening to use a current event to speak to the larger issues of uh, black disenfranchisement police yeah. brutality politics is, a, is a ever-evolving topic and so um, providing um, global national context and to um an immediate crisis or circumstance they might be experiencing at school mm-hmm. um, Just trying to always make it relevant and asking a lot of questions of them to uh, make sure that um most of the time that we spend on those issues is spent with me listening and hopefully by them talking yes. testing testing out their ideas you know see how much uh see if they have merit you know mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. very true very true so, what advice can you give a black father listening who can relate to
1: your story? You, um, you don't fall for the okie doke, fellas. I mean, there's a lot of peer pressure out there to go out and be with a whole lot of different women, and that's that. That's I mean take me for example and i'm i'm, I'm Narissa. i'm trying not to brag right? <laughs> okay it's i'm okay. trying not to brag but okay. i'm one of them cats yeah i'm one of them cats i was a low-key cat okay. you know <laughs> i was a low-key cat but i will show you these hands All Right, and so you, you can't play me i ain't no punk but i'm not a gangster i'm not a thug i'm not wild i'm not wild and out hmm I mean, I have friends who joke and laugh, and you know, we probably made our 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 ridiculous, silly jokes when we were amongst ourselves. You know, Mm -hmm. we had our version of black room, black locker room talk, if you will. Yeah. And you know, we'd shoot the breeze and play the dozens, just like anybody else. And there's always the subtle peer pressure of, okay, have you gotten some lately? Mm
2: -hmm. There's always
1: there's always an undercurrent of who you're sleeping with and who you're trying to get with, and if you've been talking to someone for a while what's taking so long
2: mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm.
1: i'm saying to the fellas yeah all that is cool but you need to learn some other things though besides just focus so much on your genitalia
2: mm-hmm. because
1: if you let that head be the one that guides your every move you're going to find yourself in some circumstances that you probably weren't prepared for
2: mm-hmm. and i,
1: I want to fellas to really understand that instead of being so concerned about how many women you can get and how many women you can sleep with mm-hmm. open up a book study of how to romance a woman how to mm-hmm. be a gentleman mm-hmm. how to uh, provide for a woman uh, read some romance novels even and mm-hmm. look at and study real masculinity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because romance novels are romance novels they're 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 littered with examples of why women fall in love with real men yeah because in those romance novels there are men acting like real men
2: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. real manhood and masculinity is something that in the black community still exists yeah however there there's it, it, it's a premium now because there's so many different um you know presentations of what being male is and you know we could talk about the, the genders and all of that and uh, the different communities, or what have you. So I would say, um, you can define it for yourself. But if you if you're gonna be about a your your real black man manhood and masculinity, uh-huh. you know, don't measure it by how many women you can get, or don't measure it by how many women you can't get. Because just because you're single, you still know less of a man or more of a man than if you are with somebody. Right. So, right. so don't measure it by that. Measure it by how accountable you are. How Mm -hmm. responsible you are. How many times you can apologize and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'll try to do better next time. Take Mm -hmm. responsibility. Own up. Take care of your business. Handle your business. And let that be the measure of your manhood. Not how many women you can get.
0: Yes. Yes. Preach. Preach. Mm Now, I'm going to throw a curveball in there. So let's just say that there's a father listening who then mm-hmm. took all that advice and is in the mm-hmm. same shoes as you who mm-hmm. has married into fatherhood. What advice would you give him?
1: I would say bravo, first of all, if you've been able to do all of that and, you know, congratulations, especially if you're, if you're a black man and you, you've you mm-hmm. been able to survive all the ills of this society. Yes. Uh, congratulations. If you've done all of that, um and by no means am i saying that i my life and example is the gold standard but i'm just saying i'm just one example of what's possible Mm -hmm. because i'm and and i probably do that in risa because of where i'm from and what that city uh tends to represent to people hollywood fake phony you know shallow (laughs) you know what i'm saying so i came up through all that you know walking to school in inglewood walking through the jungle Mm-hmm. to the valley when I was a kid riding the bus with Crips and walking through the hood and you know through Bloods, so, you know yeah. it, it, it's a it's a life but you don't have to succumb to it and it, it doesn't have to become you right. and so if you make it to this point I, I think you need to uh, first of all give thanks to God because mm-hmm. he didn't have to bring you this far right. and just know that uh, your life has a purpose beyond probably what you know right. and um mm-hmm if you got this far uh let that be your guide and indicator that uh what you are doing is probably working and i would encourage you to keep evolving keep reinventing yourself and don't stop growing because i'm telling you if you got this far i guarantee you and if if you're fortunate enough to be with a beautiful sister i guarantee you she's trying to improve her life right now Mm -hmm. and so you better also be about that life of self-improvement self-advancement supporting her and making sure that you are the very embodiment of everything that you admire in her
2: Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. be
1: the be the change you want to see in your relationship and in your marriage and in the world be that life and Mm. walk that walk instead of just talking that talk be that yeah do that you know what
2: what
1: i'm saying that's what i'm talking about (laughs) yes
0: Yes.
2: i'm
1: talking about
0: So, you know, we're going to take a commercial break on that one because that's just a good note to just let it simmer in the people's mind right now. Let them just meditate on this for a minute. So, y'all, we're going to take a commercial break and we shall be right back.
1: Come on back.
0: (laughs) James Weldon Johnson, 1871 to 1938. James W. Johnson was a well-educated man with exceptional talent. He was a teacher, lyricist, counsel, author, editor, poet, and powerful civil rights activist. He was born in 1871, the second of three children in Jacksonville, Florida. His father was of mixed ancestry from Virginia, and his mother was of French and Black Haitian ancestry born in Nassau, Bahamas, and educated in New York City. She taught at the city's largest grammar school for blacks, and it was she who inspired Johnson's early interest in music and reading. There were no high schools for blacks in Jacksonville, so his parents sent him to Atlanta for his secondary and college education in 1877. Johnson was an outstanding student. While at Atlanta University, he wrote about 30 poems and also delivered the graduation Oration in 1894. He returned to Jacksonville and became principal of the local grammar school, which through his efforts grew to become a high school. While teaching, he studied law and became the first black lawyer admitted to the bar in the state of Florida. Johnson left a lasting impression on the cultural and social life of the Negro in America. His writing credits are extensive. In 1902, his song, Under the Bamboo Tree, sold more than 400,000 copies. He wrote his first novel in 1912. He is credited with writing the renowned Black national anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing, in 1900. The Light Opera, Toloso and translated into English the Spanish opera Goyisas. Pardon my mispronunciation. <laughs> he wrote music for the exclusive Claw and our larger productions, The Sleeping Beauty and Humpty Dumpty. Some of his songs were published in the Ladies Home Journal and many of his articles were published in the Encyclopedia Britannica. His diplomatic career included being counseled to Puerto Cabela, Venezuela in 1906, Cornito, Nicaragua in 1909, and the Arizos in 1912. Johnson resigned his post as counsel and became involved with the NAACP from 1916 to 1930. In 1920, He went to Haiti to investigate charges to great brutality to the Native people under the American occupation. His stay was short, but he was able to produce facts for the American public, which led to a congressional investigation. Shortly after, Johnson spent two years in Washington, D.C., trying to secure the passage of an anti-lynching bill in the House of Representatives. Through his efforts, startling and gruesome facts were entered in the congressional record. After several months, the House passed the bill, but it was later defeated in the Senate. Johnson took this defeat as a near victory because during the investigations, the truth emerged and the American people had been enlightened. He further sought to strengthen the NAACP. His field work in the South led to the organization of the Dixie District, which added 13 new branches and 738 new members. These branches made the NAACP the strongest organization engaged in the battle of equal rights for blacks. After retiring from the NAACP, Johnson became a professor of creative literature at Fisk University. He resumed his writing and began lecturing at Northwestern, the University of Chicago, Yale, North Carolina, Oberlin, and Swarthmore. On several occasions, Johnson became overworked and was forced to take leaves of absence. On one such leave, he met with a tragic death. On June 17, 1938, while driving through a blinding rainstorm. His car was struck by a train at an unguarded railroad crossing. He died almost immediately. During his lifetime, Johnson, a multifaceted man, was bestowed with honors, citations, and honorary degrees, but his greatest honor and highest monument was the joy he received from laboring for his people. Have you ever wanted to receive services that truly consider your culture first? I mean, like really considered your culture first, not in a surface or fluffy way, but in a very deep, rich, and validating way. Well, look no further. My husband and I have finally put our brains together on how we can provide services that consider your culture first. At Culture First Family Therapy and Training Services, we offer an array of services that help people truly become more culturally aware. From the trainings and workshops we develop and offer, to the consultations we provide, to training our supervisees to use their cultural lens when providing services to people of color, we believe in putting culture first. Go check out our website, and the services that we offer over at www.culturefirstwiththenumberone.org. with the number one.org. Again, that website is www.culturefirst.org. C U L T U R E, the number one st.org we are so excited about this and we just look forward to helping you embark on the journey of cultural awareness by learning how to put culture 1st righty, you all right y'all we are back and we're going to get ready to wrap up this uh little segment here with dj rome who has blessed us with all kind of good information today i'm just appreciative um so i'm just asking him a few more questions and then we're going to just end in the show so That's right. yes we're so i want to ask huh? yes we're gonna land this plane definitely <laughs> <laughs> so i want to um ask you like what are the joys and challenges of fatherhood, as well as being a black father.
1: Mm, okay, so it, it's kind of nuanced in this sense because the way I came up and fatherhood not necessarily being a major priority for me, I was mm-hmm. very, very deliberate to make sure that I didn't become a father unless I wanted to. Yes. And if fatherhood was going to happen for DJ Rome, it was going to be on my terms. Period.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Period in the story. That's the tweet. Right. Me. <laughs> I'm so low. Um. I, I and that I mean that that meant the world to me, and it means the world to me. And so, what it does, uh, I want to make sure I understand your question because I, I think the. Um, Ask me the question again so I can make sure I can la- I land on it right. Yes. You know yeah. Tell me the question again.
0: <laughs> yes. So, and it's, it's fine. Like I said, you know, my show and my listeners know ain't nobody with the fake and phony. I'm glad you actually mentioned that too because mm-hmm. I'm like, this is, we talk about what we want to talk about on this show and that's just how it go. That's so we go. the that's question amazing. was, mm-hmm. what are the joys and challenges of mm-hmm. fatherhood and yes. also being a black father?
1: Yeah. So the joy is that I did it my way.
0: Yes. I
1: mean, truly, I did it my way, and that may have not afforded me the the pleasure of seeing the girls when they were children. I mean, small little girls and mm-hmm. being able to speak into their lives, you know, from from a from a very early stage. Right. So while I did miss out on that, um, I, I I can be okay with that because that's what God had for me mm-hmm. and the the appreciation of being able to have daughters because I didn't realize that that was such an issue for me this is a mm-hmm. trip too I, and you know and I'm gonna try to answer this uh, uh, succinctly and, and abruptly but there's <laughs> something about black men who have black sons that mm-hmm. is sometimes very terrifying to black mm-hmm. men.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Something about having a black son because you know that having a same-sex child it's your responsibility yeah, to, to make sure that 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 child becomes a man, and you got to be secure in your manhood. You got to teach him things. You got to teach him how to shoot some hoop. You got to teach him how to change light bulbs and change um, parts on a car. And you got to teach him how to take things apart and put them back together. What if you never got taught how to do that stuff? Mm. And so the expectation mm-hmm. is that when he goes out and starts dating, and he's he's on a date with his uh, future. A girlfriend or what have you and the tire runs over a nail he can't be looking at her when it's time to change that flat tire he's got to right. know how to open the trunk pull out the jack and you know handle that business you, know, right. you going go a triple a for every little flat tire you get right now, <laughs> right you know, no judgment but just having that that appreciation that having daughters yeah is it, it's a different kind of thing because now um there's nothing more precious than black women. Nothing. Yes. And so when you have daughters and you're a father that's protecting your daughters you know just just the idea that somebody could be predatory towards them or disrespectful to them. Uh-huh. You know, it's like not on my watch. And right. so just being able to step in to to that and just know that that's now my responsibility though I have not yet had a major um i haven't had to pull the the big daddy card so far you know so far i haven't had to daddy up okay (laughs) but i will go there if need be and i would say the the need is more pressing because i do have daughters it's just a different kind of thing and not that they can't fend for themselves i feel like that's my 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 duty now to to be there and uh, you know come come in and um be the support and you know play the hero if, if need be so uh i'm kind of rambling i told you during the break you got to stop dj Ramon because I, I get on a tangent be forgetting the question that's and I'm, okay I'm it right but yeah
0: the reason i'm not stopping you because now you know i have been on on your podcast too <laughs> and for my listeners y'all need to go and listen to that psychotic bump
1: school. yeah
0: okay right. but, right. yeah you know, I, I will interject, but I'm not interjecting mm. intentionally mm. because you are dropping jewels. And so even mm-hmm. though everything is not necessarily tied into fatherhood, it's tied into mm. blackness,
2: yes, which
0: is. is important, which is what my podcast is all about. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm not interjecting. Well, <laughs> so... Um, yeah and and you you are still answering the questions because you are you are right now saying the challenge of you know fatherhood you know the challenge mm-hmm. of if you had a same-sex child or the challenge of you know protecting mm-hmm. your girls from predators because mm-hmm. like you said black girls are queens and and princesses and we get you know preyed upon sometimes and so mm-hmm. that is a challenge in fatherhood so you answering the question
1: well, thank you. And I appreciate you for saying that. And and one more departure, because one thing about my biological father, who I was very close to while mm-hmm. he was walking this earth, he never took us on vacation with him. I have a one a brother one year older than me. We had the same father, but different mothers. Mm-hmm. But one thing that my brother and I always, uh, well, not it's, we, it, we've kind of resolved it now, but he never took us places with him. He never took us to see him sing and perform. I mean, mm-hmm. he was with a famous singing group. Mm -hmm. But that's not something that he wanted us to see. Now, when he got married uh, later in his life, when he became really ill and the the, the wonderful woman that he was with married him to make sure he had health coverage and, you know, it really extended his life. We would have probably lost him a lot sooner than Mm -hmm. when we did. But Mm -hmm. when we look at uh, his, his pictures with her and her family, vacation trips, boating trips. Uh-huh. water tube, it's like that's our father uh-huh. so th- there's a certain inherent pressure that emerges when you have biological children and it may not even necessarily in that instance uh, be predicated on what gender they are um, if things don't work out perfectly with their mother and mm-hmm. you aren't living there and you're not married to her and, and it's not you know husband and wife raising children together mm-hmm. they're they' are sometimes unfortunately is a, is a wedge that's created when men don't feel like they can add enough value to the relationship or mm-hmm. it, it's just easier in some ways. There's, there's less pressure to love somebody else's kids rather than your own sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because the, the expectation is far greater when it's your own and I, I just found that to be a very interesting dynamic, disappointing in some ways but I know that the short time I've been in my girl's life, we've been to Hawaii, we've Uh been to uh, several places, we've we've traveled and no man has ever done that for me. No black man has ever gotten on a plane and taken me anywhere Uh before. So I'm privileged to be able to provide that kind of experience and those types of experiences for, for my girls. And I think it just speaks to how hard it is for black men even with their own biological children, how how very daunting that challenge is for them to be connected and to stay engaged
2: mm-hmm. and
1: to stay plugged into the lives of their their children, no, no matter how it worked out with their their mom. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just find that very interesting.
0: Yes. 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 So I wanna ask you my final little plug question that I always like to ask mm-hmm. people. And Mm -hmm. that is, what is something that you do on a regular basis that helps you bloom into your best self?
1: Now, that is a very good question. Not only do I talk to Narissa Harris and her wonderful husband, Art Harris, (laughs) to give me a frame of reference to keep a brother's sanity and to (laughs) keep me on point, especially during these times, because there's nothing like, Being able to talk to someone, ladies and gentlemen I mean, we do this kind of work Larissa Eric who is a licensed marriage and family therapist Her husband is as well As well as being a school psychologist Mm -hmm. So we do this work And yet, we need that work done on our behalf too Yes if we don't take care of ourselves We can't take care of y'all no. And so one thing that I do, I talk to Art, I talk to Narissa, I talk to people who have insight and expertise into this stuff so that I can bounce some things off of. And the age doesn't necessarily matter because right. if, if you're trained and especially right now, if you're black and you're of that experience right now in mm-hmm. 2020, mm-hmm. given everything that's happened with the coronavirus and its disproportionate impact on our community, it's mm-hmm. wrecked absolute mm-hmm. havoc yes uh, all these protests with Brianna taylor ahmaud arbery ray sharp brooks george floyd and ah. on and on and on uh we are circling our black wagons and part of that circling involves participating and facilitating safe space groups i've yes. done plenty of those since the inception of all this stuff mm-hmm. um and the absence of you know the the, the truest uh you know representation of what therapy or counseling could be safe space is a wonderful alternative because now we're just talking about support now
0: Mm -hmm. we're talking
1: about bonding with people who have shared experiences to where we can speak freely get support again and to to be able to ventilate Mm -hmm. and to be able to process things but in the context of others doing the same thing without uh the variable of judgment that's mm-hmm. very powerful. And so that's something that I do. I keep an audio journal to make sure that if I'm stressed out and I can't talk to one of y'all, because y'all got lives too, you can't be just <laughs> focused on my stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I have to find a way to get an outlet. You know, Yes. If it's not taking a walk or uh, getting some exercise, you know, I audio journal. And I talk, you, you see, I have no problem talking. So sometimes <laughs> I have to hit the record button and just... You know, that is the best captive audience that you can possibly imagine because you ain't ever going to be interrupted. Right. And that audience don't go away until you press the stop or pause button. So those are just a few of the things that I do. But whatever it is that works for you and you'll know that it works for you by the sense of peace and calm that should enshrine upon you once you've gone through the entire process of it. Find it and do it, because as black men and as black fathers in this day and age right now we need all of the support that we can get that we can get and that involves uh, the the totality of what self-care actually is it is no longer it never was because you know one of the myths about uh, therapy and support was that it meant that you were weak or fallible in some way it's like no you're human right you know wearing this black skin and living inside this black body is no joke and for, for black men to be able to carry that responsibility and be the kings that uh, Beyonce says we are. Uh And they're like, we got to step on in there and really emphasize and prioritize our self-care. So those are a few of the things that I do.
0: Yes. And that is why I did not interrupt you throughout this mm-hmm. interview.
1: Okay. Well, you wanted me to drop that black as king, huh? Like uh, but
0: BF but there? you you just dropping <laughs> you dropping jewels on the people.
1: So indeed, indeed.
0: Thank you so much for coming on you the show, welcome. DJ Rome. I appreciate it, it.
1: Yes, indeed. Yes indeed. And um it, it was an honor and um I'm honored to be a part of it. Uh this topic is very near and dear to me as you found out. Yes. And um, I hope your listeners have uh, been able to get some value out of it.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome. Take care.
0: You too. Ooh, wasn't that a good episode, y'all? That was such a good way to end this series on Black Fathers Matter. Rome came with the heat. Y'all leave me a comment or a review. Let me know what y'all thought of today's episode as well as what you thought of this complete series. Next week, I will be doing an introductory episode just to tell y'all what to expect from this Black Motherhood series that I have coming up. So make sure to stay tuned for that. The cultural tidbit for you all is to sign up for DJ Rome's podcast and just subscribe so that you can listen to that podcast weekly. It is again called Psychotic Bump School. It is a really, really good podcast and he be jamming y'all with the music. Um, Also make sure to follow him on Instagram or Facebook or both at Psychotic Bump School. I will leave the handles and the correct spelling um, for both his Instagram and his Facebook and the show notes, so go check those out. And that's it for today. I wanna thank you guys so much for listening to this four part series on Black Fathers Matter. And I just once again, wanna thank all the black men that participated in my series from my wonderful patient and awesome husband, to my fabulous outstanding brother Sterl, to the amazing Dr. Chase Moore, and once again to the talented and insightful DJ Rome. All of you guys have made this a timeless and informative series that will just bless people throughout, um, past the the airing of these episodes. So thank you guys so much. Alrighty, listeners, until the next time we chat, I really hope that you do something that will help you bloom into your best self. And I'm excited to have you come and join me next week so that you can walk another day in my culture.